I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 114, in which I talk negative space with Jay. And most of this was recorded yesterday, Sunday, December 30th. I'm finishing up today because I had no end of technical difficulties with my recording software not wanting to speak to my microphone, oddly enough. Um, So today I'm using a different microphone that I could get it to cooperate with. Um, So that's... Sorry to everybody on Twitter who I had said, oh, this is going to be up yesterday. It didn't get up yesterday, but that's neither here nor there because most of you aren't listening to it when it immediately gets posted anyway. As always, I want to say thank you to all of my listeners, especially this, the last day of 2012. Those of you who have stuck with me this this year and even the year before, um, and the year before that, I'm actually, this March, will be on my third year of podcasting. So um, that really never ceases to amaze me. I am really pleased with all of the comments and conversation that I have. I appreciate all of you who have been part of this conversation, who have emailed me, etc. Um, I generally try to get back to you. If you send me an email, I try to get back to you as soon as I can. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Like this week, I know I missed some because of holidays. Um And sometimes I just want to take a little time to think about my response before I send it back, so there may be a little bit of a delay in that as well. But generally speaking, I get back to you pretty quickly, and I do really appreciate you joining in with me as part of this conversation, as I always say, plus your comments give me more food for future future episodes, so I really appreciate that. Um, Okay, this episode. I am actually not going to begin with a Creative Bites because really this entire episode is a Creative Bites since it's all talking design elements and principles with Jay. And we do talk about some stuff that we really feel that people should keep in mind, um, ourselves included, as we do quilt design into the future. So just to begin with a couple of announcements. First, to uh, review, I did host the Boxing Day Sew-In because of the holidays and other stuff I had going on with work. I didn't really promote it that much. So it was a rather small, quiet um, year, although still a lot of fun. We did have a lot of people participating, and I enjoyed that. I also think a lot of people that had participated last year were on the road this year and weren't able to participate as fully as they usually do. But we did have a lot of fun. There was a lot accomplished on Boxing Day. That's the day after Christmas. For my blog giveaway, I was um, thrilled to be able to announce that Susan of the History Quilter podcast won my giveaway, and she will be getting her stuff in the mail sometime this week. Um, It was a lot of fun. If you recall, I gave away a DVD that I have and also 50 strips out of my uh, stash of strips. I have mentioned before that I just have a boatload of two and a half inch strips from various exchanges, plus keeping my own uh, scraps. And I do have some jelly rolls, but I didn't include the jelly rolls in the giveaway. This was just all my loose strips, as it were. And um, so I took them all down, threw them in a actually a pillowcase that I'd made, (laughs) threw them all in there and took them down. My daughter had a friend over that day and had her draw, had them draw 50 strips at random out of the bag so that I wouldn't 
inadvertently just send Susan the ones I didn't want, you know, that kind of thing. So she cho- they chose 50 strips for me. And um, I am actually glad to say it did make a bit of a dent. I was a little worried that I'd give away 50 strips and still be looking at a boatload of strips. But it did make a, a little dent. I'm a little more comfortable with my stash now of strips and have some ideas of ways I'm going to use the strips that I do still have remaining in projects coming up. So, um, Susan, congratulations, and you will be getting your mailing sometime later this week. Don't forget, everybody, the New Year Resolutions giveaway. The deadline for that is January 15th. Um, if you were one of the, oh, say, five or six people who had almost immediately filled out the form on my um, on the show notes to the last episode, there's an embedded form on that page. Five or six of you did it pretty quickly, and then the seventh or eighth person emailed me and said, I didn't see anywhere to put my name or email address <laughs> on the form. I'm like, oh, whoops. So I went in very quickly and added that so that anybody after that would add it. I know I have already mentioned this Um one or two of you did get back to me. If you were one of those first few people that put your response on the giveaway spreadsheet and you don't remember being asked for your name and email address, please email me directly, sandyquilts at gmail.com, that's sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z, and just give me some highlights from what you had filled out on the form so that I can go back and find your entry and I will then add your name and email address. Um, that's the only way I'm going to be able to include you in the drawing. And I do very much apologize that I had blipped on that and not included that. That's because I was really I was trying to get that form up too quickly and I didn't put it away like I normally do. I normally make something, put it away for a day or two and go back and review it. And I didn't do that. I just sort of threw it up there really fast and that's what happens when you do that. So um, like I said, a couple of you did already get back to me and I'm just looking for the other few. So thank you very much for everybody who has uh, left your resolutions. I'm already sort of working on mine. I mean, I'm jumping the gun, started a little bit before January 1st and kind of went through some of the things I've already pledged to do in 2013. And I'm already starting to work on those. So um, I am, as I've talked about in previous years, I'm a goal setting person. I enjoy the process of making New Year's resolutions, um, mostly because it makes me step back and assess what's important to me and what I feel like would really make me not, I don't want to say make me happy, but make me maybe feel more settled or something in the coming year. So um, that's always a good process for me to go through. And several of you have said that you really enjoy the process too. So I'm, I'm glad you're having fun with that giveaway. I have just a little bit of an update. Um, I did go on a shop hop the Friday before Christmas. I, I always think of that as the Shirley DeMott Memorial shop hop. My mom and I went down on this shop hop. We probably really only did it maybe four years, three or four years in a row uh, before she passed away. So it's not like we did it for eons, but it was long enough that it started feeling like a tradition to me. I usually end up with some spare vacation days that I need to use up at the end of the year. And so I tend to, I like to try to take Fridays off in December, at least a couple of them. And I use that for, you know, Christmas prep kind of stuff. And one of the things my mom and I did is we would take one of those Fridays and we would go down into Amish country, which is only about an hour south of us. There's a a nice big um, Amish community in that area of New York State. And there's a few different uh, quilt fabric shops. There's some um, couple of general stores that carry fabric, that kind of thing. And um, it's just, it's a nice time. And we would always stop at an Amish restaurant for lunch. Well, this year, um, my 
friend Lori came with me. That was, uh, you know, several people. We had talked to a bunch of people about going, and unfortunately, because it was so close to Christmas, I usually go earlier in December, and this year it just didn't work out. Because it was so close to Christmas, Lori and I were the only ones that were available. We had a great time. Unfortunately, Break My Heart found out that the Amish restaurant we had already always gone to was closed. (laughs) I was very sad because they have the best darn corn chowder at that restaurant. But so anyway, we did still go to the fabric shops and I did. I mostly focused on buying fabrics for projects I already had in process. Um, But of course, there was some fabric that it just jumps off the shelves into your arms and begs to come home and how can you turn it down when it does that it sounds so pathetic and needy and you just have to give it a loving home and so yes I I did um, you know twist my arm I became a foster parent for some of these fabrics (laughs) and so I did get some extra things for some projects I have in mind for 2013 Um, projects I did not have in mind before seeing the fabric, by the way. Um, I bought some Christmas fabric that was on sale for 25% off. Um, I bought, I think, just two yards, one of two different fabrics. And um, because I already have Christmas fabric here in my stash that I have not used, I felt kind of bad about having more Christmas fabric. And so I immediately set about using that Christmas fabric, and I made a table runner. I just did um, three, oh, I think they're sawtooth stars eight pointed stars I don't remember what they're called now but I just pulled out my around the block book and chose a a fairly basic um, block that I thought would work up quickly and look nice with these fabrics and then put a border on it some very simple quilting so let's see I got home Friday afternoon I had the top fully pieced probably by Friday night (laughs) and then you know worked on quilting and binding it over the weekend so it was done by Sunday night so I had it done in time for Christmas and it was on our coffee table which was very nice. Um, I am still working on the Fibonacci quilt. I A lot of my break between Christmas and New Year's, I was just really tired from holiday celebrations or we had stuff going on or, you know, spending time with family. So I didn't get quite as much quilting done as I really wanted to. So I am still working on the Fibonacci quilt. Um, I hope to have more to report on that by the next time I record. I am mostly caught up on Easy Street, although I'm still finishing up Friday's clue and she's already uh, posted today's clue and now she's going to post one tomorrow so there's no way I'm going to stay fully caught up on this but um, it is good to at least get that much done. I will finish I I have a good shot I think at finishing yesterday's and today's maybe today at least yesterday's or Friday's I'll have done today. We you know had a very nice holiday again it's it's quieter we're in a stage of life where it's quieter my kids are college kids one doesn't even live at home anymore he has an apartment an hour away and he was working He works retail. He works at Best Buy. So, of course, this is an insanely busy time, and he is just racking in the hours. Um, My daughter is home with us, but she's been spending time with friends here and there. Um, So, you know, it's just been kind of a nice, quiet week. We have had some family celebrations in there. Um, Saturday, we were going to be hosting my side of the family for our Christmas celebration, but we had a winter travel advisory. It was snowing all day. We probably got another three or four inches altogether. And my sisters actually live south 45 minutes and about an hour and a half south of us, respectively. Uh, So they just couldn't drive up here. So I ended up with Saturday as a very quiet day as well. But I did have to call my nephew because I had, um, since we were hosting the dinner, but we were going to do a game day, I had roasted, oh, I think it was about an eight pound 
roast beef that I had done Friday because we were going to just serve it cold on Saturday with some salads and stuff. People could make sandwiches or whatever. Well, now I had eight pounds of beef (laughs) in the refrigerator and my daughter's a vegetarian. So that's just my husband and I. So I called up my nephew who lives in town and said, okay, you know, DeMott family Christmas is canceled, but please, please, please come over and help us eat beef. (laughs) And, you know, tough sell. Yeah, he came over and helped us eat some beef. Um, Although we do still have some in the fridge. So that was, you know, at least he came over and we got to spend some time with him. So that was nice. Um, Now, those of you who have the iPad, I do want to let you know, um, my daughter now has one. That was her only Christmas gift this year. And she and I loaded a couple of uh, traditional board games onto our iPad that are really, really fun. And we're now like addicted to them. So we're able to play um, while we're both here at home. We're playing on a local network. But then when she goes away to school, we'll be able to keep playing over wireless. The first one is, um, I think I might have mentioned this in a previous episode because um, Tanisha, Crafty Garden Mom, was talking about games she had found to play with her girls and I think I might have mentioned on the podcast this is one that me and my kids played all the time when they were younger and still like to play it it's by Ravensburger which is a a game um, maker in Germany it's called The Amazing Labyrinth it's not a cooperative game but it's also it's not really super competitive your job is to kind of move your character through this labyrinth to get prizes throughout and you do that by sliding the tiles back and forth. So you slide a tile to change the maze, and then you move your character, you know, however many spaces you can, and then you have to slide the tiles again to move the maze to be able to move the next step. So the only competitive thing is you can slide the tiles to get your character to move and suddenly mess up how your uh, your opponent's <laughs> player was trying to move. And the idea is just whoever finishes picking up all their um, little treasures first. Well, they've turned that into an iPad game, so we were playing that, Um, over local network and that's a lot of fun because then you're both you know we're both sitting on the couch with our ipads in hand you know being able to be comfortable but still playing a a board game with each other and there's no cleanup you just turn your ipad off the other game that we've actually been playing a lot more of again it's this is a board game and i'm sorry i don't remember who makes it i think again it's a german game maker but it's not ravensburger it's called ticket to ride and the the game on that one is that you're building train Uh, routes, routes of train tracks to get to different destinations and earn points and that kind of thing. And of course, you can block each other off by building when you put your train down somewhere, nobody else can put their train on that track and that kind of thing. Um, And there's a bunch of different versions of it, and you can put them all on your iPad. So again, we're playing against each other on local network or um, wirelessly. So if you've got iPads and you've got people you'd like to play board games with, that's I highly recommend both of those. We've <laughs> I've spent more time playing Ticket to Ride the last few days, I think, than anything. Um, so anyway, that's just my little bit of a recommendation. So in this episode, I have my conversation with Jay about negative space. This is another one in our design series. I do need to make a little bit of a comment before the conversation because I erred in something I said. You will hear in the back half of the conversation, so it's past the midway point, I mention the Fonz and Porter quilt magazine, that I had seen some quilts in this quilt magazine. Well, the actual, I checked after we had done having our conversation, it was actually the spring 2013 issue of Easy Quilts, 
which is from Fonz and Porter, but it's not the Fonz and Porter's love of quilting magazine, and that's why I had them switched in my head. So again, when you hear me talk about the Fonz and Porter quilt magazine, I actually mean the spring 2013 issue of Easy Quilts, um, and you'll understand what that means when you get to that part of the conversation. So without further ado, I will now give you our conversation between Jay and I about negative space. Good morning again, Jay. It's good to talk to you again right after the holidays. Hi, Sandy. How are you? Doing okay. I think we're probably both dragging a little bit today. We're recording this after Christmas, but before New Year's. So right in the midst of all the uh, holiday frenzy. Have you had a little chance to recuperate some? Yeah, I've I've actually been on vacation for two weeks, so I'm in good shape. Good. (laughs) All right, then I will let you do the heavy lifting on this one because I'm still pretty tired. (laughs) All right, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to deviate a little bit from elements and principles and talk about negative space. It comes up a lot, especially in space and also in form, and I thought it would be a good idea just to give it its own segment so that people could understand it a little better. All right. Leave that journey with the clips of this way at the beginning of our, our series. I believe so, and I, I think, you know, we've referenced it two or three times here and there, at least, over the uh, series, so it's I think it's good for us to deal with it in whole now. Yeah, I agree. So one of the reasons is that in, in many basic drawing classes, students learn that there are three basic elements of composition, the frame, the positive, and the negative space. The positive space is easiest to understand because it's the space occupied by your subject. But negative space is the space that is not your subject. And that's where some of the confusion comes in. So negative space, you can think about it as the space between an object, around an object, but is not part of the actual object. It is the opposite of an identifiable object which can, at the same time, be used to help define the boundaries of that object or the positive space. So if we're talking, again, about our favorite red sausage star quilt, the negative space is not the red sausage star. Anything else is the negative space. Um, Negative space in art again, is the space around and between the subjects of an image. So in paintings, it can be kind of hard to see because you may have a a portrait of a woman sitting in a chair. Well, the chair and the woman are the positive space, but there might be sort of hazy things in the background. Those are still considered the negative space. Okay, Uh, so, so what you're saying there is negative space doesn't necessarily have to be completely blank. It's just not the positive space, I guess. It's not the main thing that you're working on. And we can think about it as quilt makers as that secondary design. There's been a lot of talk recently, I think maybe even a book or two, out about secondary designs or two-block quilts where you put two blocks together, two different blocks together, and it makes, once you get all of them, together, then you get a different secondary design. So it's what, if you put four blocks together, it's the center. It can be that center of those four blocks. 
even though you didn't intend to put them there. And intent is really important in this because often we forget about the negative space. So one way to think about it is to think about positive and negative space as figure and ground. For example, if you have four identical white rectangles and four identical black squares, and you place the white rectangles horizontally in front of you, and you put the black squares on the white rectangles in different places, you will notice really different visual effects caused solely by the placement of those black squares on the white rectangles. And you'll notice the location of the black shape immediately organizes the empty white space behind it. It organizes it into various shapes. That um, smacks of a wonderful homework assignment to me if people just cut out the squares and the rectangles out of construction paper or regular paper and just play around with that concept a little bit. Yeah, I know we haven't been giving homework assignments. <laughs> no, we've slacked off. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've been slackers, but <laughs> it's just the way it is. So you think of negative, I mean, I think of negative space as, as what's behind my main thing. And as I got into this, I'm thinking, oh, how am I going <laughs> to tell people what this means because it just gets more and more complicated. So I hope I'm making sense. Um, there's one thing that I found that was really interesting. Um, recently, we had a lesson at my Art Quilt Guild about a topic called Notan. And Notan is a Japanese word meaning dark light. The word, however, means more than that. The principle of Notan, as you hear, must further be defined as the interaction between positive light and negative dark space. The idea of this interaction in Notan is embodied in the ancient Eastern symbol of the yang and the yin, which is that circle symbol that has two sort of wave shapes. I'll put a picture of it up on my blog, but I know once people see it, they'll go, oh yeah. That symbol consists of mirror images, one white and one black, revolving around a point of equilibrium. Here the positive and negative areas together make a whole reality. And that's a really important concept, so keep that in your head. In the yang and the yin symbol, opposites complement, they do not conflict. Neither seeks to negate or dominate the other, only to relate to each other in harmony. It's the interaction of the light and the dark that is most essential. There's a book about this. It's a really small book, and it's really cheap. It's like $6.95. You can get it from Dover, and it has great exercises that will really help you in understanding the relationship between positive and negative space. And it's a relationship. Neither one is worse. You have to pay attention to both. Now... In that vein, we as Westerners have issues understanding the harmonious relationship between light and dark. The Western culture thinks in terms of opposed duality and attaches moral values of good to positive, like positive space, and of bad to the negative. So we always think of dark as bad. We get past it once we think about it further, but that's our immediate reaction. 
just culturally it's our reaction. I'm not making a judgment call here. Or we seize upon the positive as the only reality and dismiss the negative as invisible and non-existent. So if you don't pay attention to it, a really hideous or ugly secondary design can pop up in your negative space once you put two blocks together in a quilt or four blocks together. You don't want something that really doesn't further the message you want to give to your viewers in that space, especially if it really stands out and somehow becomes a focal point. That relationship between the positive space and the negative space is the premise of NOTAN. It's about thinking of the whole design rather than just the positive space. And if there's one thing that I want people to take away from this segment, it's think about the whole design. You know, I think for us as quilters, we tend to um, not, you know, obviously I'm making sweeping statements here, but we tend to focus on, oh, what are the pretty colored fabrics I want in my block? And we tend to not think so much about that, what we think of as the background, which is the negative space. And when we do, we tend to think of where am I going to put the quilting design, which is part of it. But what you're saying here is it's an entire balance. It's not that we should be thinking of one exclusively to the other. It's a balance. Correct. And we also think about, oh, I need five yards for that background. What do I have five yards of? Rather than thinking, oh, what would be the best background fabric that would enhance my positive space? And, I mean, I can understand that. We want to get busy on our quilts right away. We don't want to go out and shop for five yards of the perfect fabric, and they might not have it at my local quilt store, and blah, blah, blah. So I get it, but as much as possible, think about the relationship between the positive and negative space. So there's some confusion and trickery that goes on with positive and negative space. And... In the Pentac and Lauer book, Design Basics, they talk about it a lot. There's a, there's a piece by Franz Klein. I can't remember if it's a painting or a charcoal called White Form, but it looks like a black chair, a black sort of Scandinavian kind of design chair. So you look at it and go, oh, black chair. And then you read the card and it says White Forms, which makes you look at the negative space. It's very interesting. And sometimes positive and negative shapes are integrated to such an extent that there's truly no visual distinction. As I was saying, in Franz Klein's white forms, we automatically see some black shapes on a, black, on a background. And the title, white forms, makes us focus on those white shapes with the black areas perceived as the negative Space. The the artist in this case has made that positive and negative relationship ambiguous. It's kind of pulled a trick on you to see if you're looking at the whole piece. Well, and obviously one of the first things that also comes to mind is those images that you look at that are black and white. Is it a vase or is it two old women? You know, those those kinds of things where it's positive and negative, but depending on which one you assume is the positive and which is the negative, you see two different images. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about those two. In most paintings of the past, the separation of object and background was easily seen, even if the selected areas merged visually. But 
20th century styles do away with the distinction. You can see that the subject matter of the painting, it's called, it's by Pablo Picasso and it's called Daniel Henry Conviler, is a figure. Now this is a, it's a brown painting and Picasso was a cubist, so there's a lot of angles in it. And you can see this sort of stylized guy, but I would never look at this and go, this is a portrait, but it is a portrait, <laughs> I guess, in Picasso's way. So despite the cubist abstractions of natural forms into geometric planes, we can, we can figure out that it's a person. But it's difficult to determine which areas are part of the figure and which are the background. Picasso broke up the space in the cubist manner, which means there's no clear delineation of the positive and the negative space. Surratt says this also in a couple of his paintings. Uh, I don't know if they're paintings again. I think they might be drawing. Silhouette of a woman, the black bow, and the artist's mother. And I'll put pictures of these all up for you guys. I know you don't know them, probably. The, another trick for these artists, and what Surat did, is he, melt, he merged the positive and negative spaces so much that it really confuses your mind as to which is which. Not all over, but in some places. And some artists may play with the reversal of positive and negative space to create more complex illusions. And Escher, MC Escher is one of those people. I know all of you have seen them, and we've talked about that fish print of his. He features interlocking images that play with our perception of what is foreground and what is background. Other artists take these types, take the illusions of positive and negative images to greater lengths, hiding images within images so that perception of form is skewed or confusing. And perception of form and shape are conditioned by our instincts and our culture, and they impute meaning and order to visual data. But what we know, how we've been brought up, the culture that we live in, they all help us figure out what's what. When we look at an image and form an impression, there's a tendency to latch on to that conclusion about its meaning and then ignore other possible solutions. And that goes back to that chair by Franz Klein. When we look, something has to draw us into looking at it in a different way. And there's a, a block that I saw, I think a double sawtooth star, where there's a sawtooth star in the middle and then another sawtooth star around it. I guess I'm kind of explaining it badly. It's a little bit like Camille Ross Kelly's swoon block, but the person who made it made the inner sawtooth star the same as the background. So there's a little bit of confusion going on. That person flipped the negative space to positive. Um, Jay, you were able to send me a picture of that block. Are you going to be able to post that on your blog as well? Yeah, yeah. I'll post all of these up there. It is interesting, as you say, um, you know, what we're used to looking at. When I first looked at the block, I saw a white sawtooth star, and it was only after you began talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, there is another sawtooth star there. So it is, it's very much 
what you're trained to see and what you're trained to look at first, and then how you can kind of mess with your mind to switch the way you're seeing what you're looking at. Yes, and you like the, the vases and the old ladies that you were talking about. You, it's a, it's a real mind switch. I mean, some some people can't see that stuff. And also, I think there's an element of ratios we talked that we talked about last time. So in the case of this double talking star, there's an issue going on with the color too, and how much color compared to how much white space. That's um, messing around with our perception as well. Well, and it could also be, again, looking at this, this one block that we're talking about, is there's a lot of colors. I mean, they fall into two major categories, but there's a lot of colors, whereas if all of those other pieces were a solid, would that also change how you see it? Because visually it would have a little more impact then. Exactly, and your eye does move around this because of all the different colors, which I think will help in people's minds saying, oh, wait, I see something else here. So that would be an interesting uh, homework assignment to have somebody make this block and follow it and see how it looks. See if you get the same... Um, to see if you get the same impact. And then, again, to put four of them side by side to see how that works out in terms of secondary designs and things. Yeah, because you're going you're gonna to have a big... If you look at the corner, there's a square, but when you put four bright white squares together that is going to be a big hole in the design. And that's where, getting back to previous discussions, where ratio of color to background come in. Right. And also, uh, still looking at this block, I'm struck by the idea that depending on how you quilt it, you are going to emphasize one visual or the other. You know? Mm -hmm. If if you've got this big feathered wreath in the middle where that white sawtooth star is and then do something different that's a little bit lighter on the colors, the colors will actually come out more than the star will, you know, vice versa. If you do your more intricate quilting on the colors and leave that white star a little bit plain, visually it will actually kind of jump out at you because it's lifted, the surface is lifted a little bit. That would be an interesting experiment too, is how does quilting affect which one you see first? Well, the color of the thread would also make a big difference. Right. If you use a color, then it's going to completely, we wouldn't even use this block as an example in this negative space segment because it wouldn't be the negative space anymore or it wouldn't appear as it. That's right. the negative space. That's, <laughs> you know, this, this block, it's really interesting. I, you know, I hope people, when they listen to this, will go to your blog and look at the picture of this particular block and just imagine it, you know, in different ways and different colors like we've talked about and just see how that makes them perceive the block as which is the positive and which is the negative space. And it's a great block, too. You can do a lot with it and it's fun. So how about it, people? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a couple of notes here. So, if you haven't gotten it so far, in a picture, the shapes that the artist has deliberately placed are considered positive shapes. In our case of our of our red tattoo star quilt, that would be those red stars. The spaces around the shapes are the negative faces. So, the white background, that's the negative face. And 
Some artists create pieces that have no distinction between positive and negative spaces. And like you said, Escher was a master of this. For every positive shape, another thing to remember, for every positive shape, there's a negative shape surrounding it. All the time. If you draw a circle on a piece of paper, <laughs> not the circle, that's a negative space. A good artist realizes that the space surrounding an object is just as important as the object itself. Negative space helps define, helps define a subject and bring balance to the composition. Do you hear the different elements and principles that we've been talking about in this segment? <laughs> Unity, balance, shape, those are all, this subject covers so many of, it, it's infused in all the other ones that we've talked about. It's almost as if without this one, the other ones don't exist, if you want to get existential about it. <laughs> Is that, you know, I think about, yes, obviously the yin-yang symbol is harmony. You know, that that's ultimate balance and harmony. And, you know, if you draw a line, you've automatically got the negative positive space. So it's almost like this one kind of either springs forth from every other one or it's the undergirding one to every other design principle. Yeah. Negative space or white space is a powerful design tool. It impacts aesthetics and usability. As a sort of easy example, too little of it and the de design feels really cramped. Too much and the other elements become disconnected. And if you think about taking a piece of paper and cutting a bunch of different shapes like two circles and a rectangle and a square and just laying them on, they're not touching, there's no, the design would be really disconnected. It's, there's no relationship except maybe between the circles. So you have to play around with it. And you have to, I can't emphasize this enough, you have to take the positive and the negative and thoughtfully design both, plan both. The subject is the focal point, but negative spaces are created. The negative areas created are equally important in the final pictorial effect. Have I said that enough? <laughs> Am I getting the point across? Uh, you want some back and forth visual movement between the positive shape and the negative space. An unreal, unrelieved silhouette of every shape is usually not the most interesting spatial solution. Depending on the message, you as the artist want to convey breaking the background into areas of value lend interest as well as better positive-negative interaction, integration, sorry and will make for a better design. You know, I'm struck as we've been doing this whole episode, I just got, I think it was the most recent issue of the Fonz and Porter quilting magazine. I think it's the one I was sitting and looking at last night. And it has several quilts in it which really um, illustrate some of these examples. One of the things, and we've mentioned this before, is... Um, Again, in broad sweeping generalizations, traditional quilt making tends to be a little bit more about the emphasis on the positive space. Modern quilt making does a lot more with negative space, uh, has a lot more to it, I guess. And one of the quilts that's in the Fonz and Porter magazine is a collection of, if I remember, it's either circles or rounded corner rectangles that are all kind of clustered in the middle of the quilt and then these huge borders 
just huge borders that are completely a, a solid colored fabric. So you're looking at, okay, the positive space being those squares in the middle and the negative space being the, the ones on the outside. It, I, I think personally I would have gone for a little less space <laughs> on those borders. It felt a little unbalanced to me. But it, that's a good example of saying, okay, somebody here took that negative space very, very seriously and looked at how it would emphasize. And where you said the the positive objects have to have some relationship to each other, if they had just been sort of scattered all over the quilt, they would have lost all sense of unity whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who have Fonz and Porter magazine, you might want to, s to sit down, take it out, and, and flip through it and look at several. They had several quilts in there that are coming to mind that address this question of positive-negative space and the relationship of each to the other. Yeah, and you can see it once you're aware of these different concepts. You can look at almost any magazine and get experience just looking you get experience identifying the negative space by just looking at these pictures. And we talked about glossy magazines in, in Dennis' office. I mean, there's positive and negative space there, too. Positive and negative shapes. And look at, trace with your finger, the, the outline of the positive shape so you can identify the negative space and some of those jewelry ads or perfume ads because the negative space is usually a really interesting shape. Well, and, and the other thing as quilters to remember is the negative space, as, as you've already said earlier in this episode, and I know you say this all the time on your blog, <laughs> the negative space doesn't have to just be all one solid fabric. That does not necessarily mean negative space. Even if you're looking at doing a block that has a white background, that white background can be a multitude of fabrics that make it up. Um, right. But it is so, you know, even redefining your whole sense of what negative space means, it does not have to be a single thing going on. It can have more going on. It's just not, it's going to be balanced with what your positive space is. Right. And that brings up an interesting point. I just finished all the blocks for a tune quilt, and they all have different background fabrics. So I'm kind of playing with positive and negative space by using the same fabric for both positive and negative space in different blocks. So one block that has fabric A as the background may have fabric A as the star. And I looked at the, now I haven't sewn all the blocks together yet, but I looked at the negative space where four blocks come together, and it's a kind of cross. And I thought, hmm, I wonder how that's going to look. Is that going to scream cross at me? Maybe not because all the backgrounds are different, but I need to pay attention to that to make sure that something isn't emphasized that I don't want emphasized. Right. Sometimes those moments can be serendipitous when something appears you hadn't expected and it's wonderful. But other t times something can appear that wasn't expected and it detracts from your overall goal with the quilt. Right. And I can put some fashion in between and alleviate a unintended message if I want to. That's one way of fixing it. I can move the blocks around to make... Uh, things that make background fabrics that emphasize something, uh, place them away from each other. So 
so that shape is less emphasized. Right, so it breaks it up. So this is, we come back to your golden rule, which is to make visual decisions visually. <laughs> get those blocks up on your design wall. Use a reducing glass or whatever you need to do so that you can get that distance perspective and make sure you're looking at both positive and negative space. Exactly. Um, now, I would highly recommend that people look at that no-tan book and do some of the cut paper exercises that they have, or there's other places. I'm sure they can look on the web for cut paper. But we did that in my in my guild, and it was a really interesting exercise. It really made it hard to ignore the background and treat it as merely empty space. You had to pay attention because you're cutting out this black paper. And then there's some really interesting examples, if a bit freaky, of negative space on a site called Fabulous, F-A-V, as in Victor, B-U-L-O-U-S.com. And I'll put, of course, links to all of these. I have a couple of homework assignments, and one of them we talked about with the squares, with the squares and rectangles. So do that, take pictures, post your blog, post the Flickr, wherever, so we can see them. But also, photocopy or printout, the paintings in black and white, and I give you a couple of examples from Zerat, and look at the negative and positive space and notice their shapes. You can also do that with the glossy magazines, like I said. Try and find the simple lines and see where it's confusing and try and figure out why it's confusing and whether that works for you or not. And I would, we had also talked about the third homework assignment we'll add on there is to go to your blog and look at the picture of that quilt block and play with that as well to look at how different colors, how different quilting designs and threads and everything would change. Yes, yes. And so, people, make that block. Make it in different ways. Quilted. You know, and... and as we always say to our listeners, you're all part of this conversation as well. So please leave uh, comments on the show notes to this episode with links. If you've got pictures of your own quilts in which you feel that the whole interplay between positive and negative space really, you know, either made the quilt or maybe there's times when you've got a quilt done and you realize, oh, wait, this didn't work as well as I wanted to because, you know, th there were um, problems with that balance and help everybody, you know, see those examples as well. Definitely. You have quotes out there that we want to see. We want to see what was, what was good, what you liked, what you didn't like about the positive and negative state. All righty. Well, I think, is that it for this concept? I mean, obviously, we could probably talk a long time <laughs> about any of these. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have any last notes you want to leave with people about this topic of not negative space? Pay attention to the negative space. Don't <laughs> let it happen. That's my parting word. <laughs> and as always, Jay, Jay always posts wonderful blogs um, with all of this information and then a list of resources. Um, and I imagine one of the resources you'll have listed on there is the small book that you had mentioned way back at the beginning of this episode um, that you said really helped work with some of these concepts as well. The No 10 book, yeah, I yeah. put it on there. Okay, great. It's a Dover book, so it's a reprint, but it's really cheap. Alrighty, and I will make sure I link to Jay's blog from my show notes to this episode, and she always does vice versa, so you can go to either one first and <laughs> find the other, so... 
All right. Well, thank you again, Jay. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful and safe New Year celebration. Thank you. You too and everybody else. All righty. And we'll go into 2013 now, all completely prepared with all of our design principles and elements at hand, and wonderful things will happen. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> all right. Happy New Year, Jay. Happy New Year, Candy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you again, Jay, for taking time during our respective holiday weekends. In fact, I know Jay was busier than I was on the day we did that recording yesterday because she had people coming over that afternoon. So thank you so much, Jay, for taking your time to once again talk to us about design. And we still have more episodes um, coming. So never fear, you're still going to be learning about design um, during 2013 as well. I did realize after I had recorded the intro to this episode that I forgot to mention something that I did spend an awful lot of time doing over this holiday week. I made pillowcases. I have been wanting for a while to make pillowcases. You know, the the American Patrick and Quilting has their uh, one million pillowcase challenge going on. But, you know, our guild has been talking about um, doing pillowcases for various organizations that we donate to on a regular basis. We have a domestic violence shelter. We have a hospice house um, and other places that we donate to recently, a cancer center um, that opened up in our area. And so we do a lot of lap quilts. And for the hospice house, we've been doing bags um, so that when somebody does pass away, their family has a, a nice bag to bring the person's belongings home in rather than just a, you know, grocery bag or whatever. Um, but we have also been talking about they could use pillowcases for the same thing. Well, I'd never made a pillowcase. I've always wanted to make a pillowcase. So I decided on a whim a few days ago that I was just going to do it. And now I'm up to having made four of these things. <laughs> These things are like, they're seriously addictive. It's like potato chips. You can't just make one. It's a great way to use stash. I've been using fabric that I've always loved, but it just never found its way into a quilt. And this is a good way to use it and be able to share it with others and share the beauty. Um, The first two that I made, I didn't feel past quality control. I mean, they weren't terrible. And from the outside, they look fine. It was internal issues, things that didn't work out quite the way I wanted them to. So as I've said before, I don't like donating something that I wouldn't give to a friend or family member. Um, Actually, I have higher standards, apparently, for donating than family members, because my daughter said, oh, I'll take them to college. I'm like, great, go ahead, (laughs) take them. It doesn't bother me that she's got, you know, pillowcases in her dorm room that didn't pass quality control. Um, So she's got the first two. The third one turned out beautifully, and that one will be donated. And then the fourth one I just fell in love with. I So I'm keeping it. I made it with some fabric I've had in my stash forever and just love. And it never made its way into a quilt. And every now and then I'd pull it out and say, well, I really want to use this. How do I use it? And then it would end up back on my shelf again. And um, so I decided, well, I'll use it for this and I'll make it, you know, I used it for the cuff because I don't have a ton of that fabric. So I used it for the cuff for a pillowcase and matched it with this beautiful gray fabric. And just as I was using it, I was like, I can't give this away. I just love this fabric too much. So I'm keeping that one for my own. I do have enough of that fabric left, I think, to make another cuff. So I think I'm going to make a second pillowcase with it and then decide whether I'll give the second one away or then I'll have somehow coordinating two pillowcases. Um But I'm going to keep making those. They're just so much fun. I'm using the technique that is demoed in the Missouri Star Quilt Company video, which you can find on YouTube. It's, um, I've heard it called a couple of different things. One is called something about hidden seams pillowcase. Another one is called the tube method. It's basically the same thing. 
where you cut all your pieces and then you lay them on top of each other, fold the bottom one over the top, sew it together, and then pull it back outside right again. I mean, this, you're not going to be able to make it based on that description. But like I said, Missouri Star Quilt Company does have a very good demo video on it. It is not original to them. It's been all over the blogosphere. I don't know actually where it's original to, who came up with this method first, but it's been all over the place. I've seen it a lot. I did find it more helpful to watch the Missouri Star Quilt Company demo video than reading some blogs. Some folks had sent me links to various blogs with tutorials. I have found often, um, one, it's just helpful to see something in action, but I also found it helpful to compare theirs, their video description of it with the blogs, because in one case, particularly, the blog had left out some kind of key information <laughs> as their description, and I'm like, what I did was I watched the demo video, and then I was using the blog, because I could print it out and use that as my step and step, and I'd get to a step, and I'd be like, well, wait a minute, I thought there was something else that I was supposed to be doing here, or it wasn't clear, I'd go back to the video, so... Just be aware of that, um, that when you're reading a blog tutorial, make sure you read it through all the way beginning to end, make sure you understand it, and then see if there's other tutorials on the same thing elsewhere so you can compare and contrast. Um, and Missouri Star Quilt Company just has absolutely wonderful uh, demo videos anyway, so I do always recommend them. So if you haven't made a pillowcase yet, I do recommend it. It was just a lot of fun. I got it to the point where it was taking me... I think it takes me between half an hour and 40 minutes, but that's because I'm kind of finicky when it comes to pressing everything every step of the way. You know, once you turn the pillowcase back right side out, I pressed it again because it was a little bit wrinkly. I don't like sewing things when it's a little bit wrinkly. So every step of the way, I was taking time to press. I'm not sure if everybody does that. Um, I also, because of the feet on my machine, there's a couple of different places where I switch out feet. So that took me a little bit, you know, obviously not too long. I do French seams on mine, and I think that's the other thing that took a little bit longer than what some people might do because um, I don't have a serger. A lot of people just serge the seams. I don't have a serger. I could have done a zigzag stitch, but I, I really like the whole covered seam thing. So I've been doing French seams on all of mine. But even so, half an hour, 40 minutes, and it's done and you can see it finished and made. It's it's just a lot of fun. So I've been spending a lot of time making pillowcases. I definitely will be making more. Um, that's been just a hoot. Now, listener feedback, I want to say thank you to everybody who has left comments on recent blog posts and episodes. I, um, I'm not going to go through and, and do feedback with everybody, but I just wanted to say thank you to Be a Quilter and Debbie, Diane, Kevin the Quilter, Lori, Tammy, Viria, um, Viria, however you pronounce that, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, Amy D, um, Anonymous who is truly anonymous, didn't even leave a, a name in the comment itself. Um, I did want to say Connecticut Chronicles had left a comment saying that she was thinking about my yearly resolutions podcast. And she said, fortunately, the first year I participated, I didn't date my resolutions. I did print them out and they hang above my cutting table. I can honestly say I haven't completed a single one <laughs> in three years. I've done lots of sewing and quilting in the last few years, just didn't get to those resolutions. So she's really hoping... Um, that 2013 will be the year of accomplished goals. So Connecticut Chronicles, you go. <laughs> you work on that. Um, thank you to Landscape Lady and Noni and Pam and Shelly and Lazy Daisy, who actually commented through Flickr on one of my pictures of Easy Street. So thank you to all of you for commenting. And I look forward to hearing more comments in the future. As always, let's make 2013 the year of comments. Um... 
As always, you know how to get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Threadbias, Craftsy, and a variety of other places, all under Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook or join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Flickr. You can also join the Big Tent Quiltcast Supergroup and then the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup. And you can join the Kiva team. And you will find links for all of that and a whole lot more at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And don't forget, you can also find us on Stitcher. So thank you so much. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.